Scripture reading, it comes from Matthew 6, 19 to 34, where we're reading about laying up treasures in heaven and being anxious um, about our lives. Matthew 6, 19 to 34. Thank you for uh, standing uh, out of reverence for God's word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's word. Please be seated. Okay, well, good morning once again. Can you guys hear me? No? Um, good morning once again. Hello? Okay. Hello? Hello? Okay, now I think it's coming out. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, good. It's working. Okay, good. Whew. All right. Um, yeah, sometimes I think my, lo- my voice is so loud, I'm, I th- I'm thinking I'm using the mic, but it's <laughs> the internal mic that's on. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, today is Stewardship Sunday, and so uh, we're going to talk about money in, from this passage in Matthew, and as we... Uh, start off this message, I'm going to just invite us to pray one more time, and let's come before the Lord and um, ask the Lord to just really apply His truth to our hearts. So please join me one more time. Father, we, Lord, come to 
honor you and to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. Lord, we confess to you that many times we have a very uh, weakened understanding of what that means and the way that our lives reflect this and in our own hearts. God, we need your truth and we need the hope of Christ. We need our eyes to be open to see who you are. And so, Lord, I ask that by your spirit now you would take this truth of your word and enable us, Lord, to see more of your glory and to live in such a way that reflects that you are our loving Heavenly Father, especially when it comes to our finances. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, today, this uh, Sunday, is Stewardship Sunday, and so all three language congregations, uh, Cantonese, Mandarin, here in the English, uh, we are all preaching about stewardship, uh, more specifically about financial stewardship. And for some of you, this may seem a little bit odd because we're going through the book of Acts, and uh, we haven't quite finished the book of Acts, and you may be wondering, well, why are we, you know, interrupting the book of Acts for this message all of a sudden? And some of you might be thinking, well, of course, I know why. It's November. Uh, it's towards the end of the budget season, and the church needs our money. Maybe. Maybe some of you might be thinking that, right? And so, therefore, there's a hidden agenda to this message. We need your money. The church needs your money. Uh, and I want to say to you that the truth is that while... Uh, some maybe could be possibly motivated by that, that um, I am seeking to preach this message as a follower of Jesus Christ to the best of my conscience, and also as your pastor who seeks to uh, preach God's counsel, his, his full word, um, as faithfully as I can, and to help us all grow in our understanding of the relationship between discipleship and our money. And this is, my, this is my true intent and my motive and goal as far as I can discern in my heart. And we certainly cannot separate the two because Jesus often talks a lot about money and this relationship of money that, that we have. Um, the Bible has a lot to say, and to be honest with you, uh, if it weren't for the Stewardship Sunday, uh, I would have preferred to spend about four or five weeks just talking about money, uh, but not in November when it's towards the end of the, the year, but uh, maybe sometime early next year. I would have I uh, preferred to have done that because I think the Bible says so much about it, and um, there's a few things that I just want to say just in very broad, broad terms about it. Um, right off the bat before I go into this passage of Matthew. But um, here at CFC, and not just our church, but clearly in terms of what the Bible teaches, is we do not believe in the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel being that, you know, we come to church, we, we use God in order to get what we really want. You know, maybe uh, we want better grades, right? We want to get into a better school, or we want uh, that promotion, or that money, or uh, that we want a better life, that good spouse, or those things. So this is not what we, we clearly reject this prosperity gospel. Um, you know, there's a lot of danger at its very core. 
But I also want to say that we don't believe in the poverty gospel, and there's nothing inherently spiritual about being poor either. Okay, so um, poverty or being poor has lots of its own problems and issues, and um, so we're not saying that, you know, the poor you are, you know, you are now, you know, you have, that means that God really, really loves you, or, you know, you really have that special standing with God. We don't know. Um, in fact, I want to say that um, the Bible talks about money and wealth as something to be prized, oftentimes, in the book of Proverbs. And in fact, it's good for the economy to flourish. This is actually not a bad thing. We want to see the, the economy grow and flourish. Uh, the flourishing of the economy is good for the good of all culture, of all mankind. And there are plenty of examples in, of people in the Bible who are quite wealthy. We have Abraham, and we have Joseph, Job, David, Joseph of Arimathea, but there's a lot of examples, plenty of people in the Bible who had, uh, who were very well off and uh, had quite a bit of wealth. Um, what I love about Scripture is, Scripture is very, very nuanced when it comes to money. So the Bible doesn't condemn money, right? It's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evils, but it doesn't say money itself is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, the Bible doesn't condemn it or having lots of money, you know, uh, there's, there's no condemnation about that. Um, but the Bible does give some pretty clear warnings about it. And um, in this passage in Matthew, I want to address just one particular aspect about our relationship with money. And I'm going to share with you three points uh, here. The passage we just read, um, Jesus is talking about, in the, the, the beginning part here, is he is clearly warning us of the danger of money. He is warning us of its danger. And so, I'm just going to read this right here. I mean, this is pretty direct, but Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Jesus, there's a couple things I want to point out to you here, but one thing is very clear. Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's only a couple times in the Bible where Jesus talks about, hey, if you want to know what's truly in your heart, if you want to know what someone really, really believes and treasures or what they really value in life, there's, there's two main indicators of this. It's your speech. What, what does this person talk about a lot, right? What, uh, what is it that they naturally talk about, your speech, and the use of your money? These two things, more than anything else, indicates what's really in a person's heart. If you were to graph the use of your money, right? If you track your budget, you track how you spend your, your uh, finances, and you look at this graph, what would this graph actually reveal about the true priorities of your heart? What does it show about what you, what you most value? 
because that's a pretty good practical indicator. It's a good litmus test. And Jesus knew that the danger of money and the temptation of it, um, even though money itself can be a good tool, it can be a good thing, he knew how easily money can capture our hearts. And this is what Jesus is driving at. He knew how easily that money can become our true treasure and our true master, that we become a slave and we begin to serve uh, money. Let's see, he uses these two analogies of the heart and the eye. The heart in Scripture is the center of your being. It's what drives you. It's, it's the place of your deepest longings and desires. And so where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But he gives a second analogy of talking about the eye. And he uses this physical analogy of the eye just as we use our physical eyes and it guides our whole body, right? And if, if, if we are unable to see, our vision is impaired in some way, then, you know, we bump into things and then, you know, then the whole body is full of darkness. And so he uses this whole analogy of the eye. So Jesus is essentially telling us that how we see money and how we treasure or value this determines our true, whether we serve really God or money. And if we treasure money, then it will affect the rest, the trajectory of our life. It leads us inevitably down a series of choices that in a sense enslave us to bring our heart's loyalty to serving money. So, for example, in 2016, um, there was a survey that was conducted by the American Freshman. Uh, this is the name of the uh, publication here in college. And um, they surveyed 82, uh, these fresh college freshmen, and 82.3% checked that becoming very well off financially was an essential or very important life objective. Very important life objective is financial security, wealth, independence. And this is an increase of nearly 10% in the last decade that has basically overtaken before what was considered raising a family as a top priority. So money has overtaken family values in that way and there's another uh, man named uh, Jonathan Haidt, and he talks about how um, because of our culture's obsession with wealth and money and um, that oftentimes thinking that, well, if I have enough money, then I will be truly happy, then I will be truly secure and satisfied in life, uh, that in this goal that there's been a sacrificing of friendships, uh, family, they've um, in a sense, put their career on the front line and sacrifice everything else on the altar of that, of that, of that um, of career. So what he comments is, he says, wealth itself has only a small, he observed, it only has a small direct effect on happiness because it so effectively speeds up the hedonistic treadmill. This is what he says. So we think it's going to bring us happiness. This is what we believe money promises us, but uh, in, in reality, it just reinforces our own sense of self-indulgence 
and um, self-pleasure. And this is what he has observed. At this point, uh, some of us, as we hear these words, these very, you know, penetrating, convicting words of Jesus, um, our natural temptation, I think, in our hearts is to say, well, I don't have an issue with money. Um, you know, I, I mean, I work hard. I want to uh, provide financially. You know, I, I just want uh, a stable life financially, those kind of things. So I don't really have an, a real issue with money. Um, that's, not, that's not my problem. Well, um, this is what Jesus talks about in verses 25 to 32. But what is the sign other than just our own self-profession that we don't have an issue with money? Well, Jesus talks about it very plain and simple. He says in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than food? Uh, sorry, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life's span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was, was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, what does Jesus repeat over and over again in this passage? The, the one word that keeps coming up, right, is the word anxious. Anxious. So the true sign, the sign that money perhaps has become an idol in our lives is not whether we affirm it or deny it. It's our emotion. It's anxiety. It's worry. This is the true sign of it. The sure sign that we have bought into the lie that money gives us what we need. That it gives us our sense of security is worry. And I would say that worry is an indicator of worship. Worry is a true indicator of worship. What you and I worry most about, right, what are the things that we tend to worry about is the things that we don't want to lose. This is what we worry about. And what Jesus is saying is this. You see, the issue ultimately is not about money. Like I said, the Bible has a lot of examples of people who are wealthy, who have plenty of money, um, so the issue itself is not money per se, but the issue is our trust. It's what we are ultimately putting our trust, our heart's trust in. And Jesus is saying that when we worry about money, it's actually revealing something deeper about what our hearts are actually valuing, treasuring, and putting our trust ultimately in. Money... I think for us, oftentimes promises this idea of safety, of security. And 
whether we have a lot of money or a little money is really not the issue. Um, sometimes people with lots of money still keep worrying about money. So having more money doesn't lessen the strength or it doesn't lessen the anxiety or the worry in our lives. In fact, many times having more money can increase stress and anxiety because now you have more to lose. And now you have more that you have to, to think through and we can easily then become more drawn and absorbed about money. In his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller, um, what he says or what he reminds us is that money can be merely one of many idols and money can be used to serve these idols. Uh, he reminds us. So he says that money is, of course, an idol. Yet, in another sense, money can be sought to satisfy other very different idols. That is, some people want money in order to control their world and life. Such, such people usually don't spend their money, but they save, they save and save and hoard it. Others want money for access to social circles and for making themselves beautiful and attractive. Such people do spend their money on themselves. So they just keep spending, spending. So, uh, money can serve all different kinds of hidden or deeper idols in the heart. And um, this, is what, this is what we have to be able to identify. What, what are the things that we are worrying about and how does our anxieties or worries reveal about our, what we believe that money can promise us? Well, what is the cure and what is it that we must do to break free really from the idolatry of money in our lives. And I think Jesus um, gives us a very clear, simple truth here that we are to apply. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, in the context here, before he gets to the part of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus is using these two analogies, talking about the birds and the lilies of the field. And Jesus, as a brilliant teacher and as what was typical of the day is he's arguing from the lesser to the greater here. And he's arguing that these things of lesser value, if God so takes care of these things, how much more would he then take care of you and I of much greater value? The birds, right? Um, I don't know about you, but in my life, um, I have never literally seen a bird just plopped down on the street because of starvation, right? Just fell over dead, just looked emaciated and starved, and so just died, right? Um, you just don't see that. And Jesus says, well, look, if, if the Heavenly Father so graciously feeds the birds, provides for the birds, you know, and these birds aren't storing up tons and tons of food for themselves. They just daily have to fly around and they, they find their food, right? How much more graciously will God provide for you and I? 
Um, Jesus talks about the lilies of the field and how these lilies of the field, you know, they grow back year after year. And Solomon was this, you know, very glorious king. And yet, even the way he was arrayed, it, it was never even as beautiful as the lilies of the field. So wouldn't God make sure that you're clothed, at least? That you're taken care of with those things? Wouldn't God, certainly in his graciousness and goodness, do that for you and I? So what is Jesus talking about? The only way to counteract worry, right? The only way to counteract the idolatry of saying that money is my security, my trust. If I have plenty of money, then I'll feel safe. Then I'll feel like, okay, um, if I have enough in the retirement bank or whatever, the only way to counteract that is that we must counteract it by trusting in God's heavenly care for you and I. It's an issue of the heart. And as followers of Jesus... Um, the real issue is we, in our hearts, do we believe that God really cares for, for us? Do we believe that if God did not spare his only son, Jesus Christ, for us, well, isn't he going to take care of everything that is truly needful in our lives? Right? It's only the gospel. The gospel gives us what our hearts really need, which is ease and rest from its anxieties and worries. And this is the only thing that can free us from this kind of idolatry. When you see Jesus Christ himself, and you see that Jesus Christ himself lost his security, he gave up all his wealth, the wealth of his glory, the wealth of being with his Father in heaven. And he then became naked and poor, and he gave up his security so that we might be protected. We might be truly wealthy forever. To know God, only as our hearts begin to grasp this more and more, can our hearts begin to rest from its unceasing anxiety, looking to money, to do what only God himself can do for our hearts. And this is what Jesus is talking about in these in these verses. But as we put our trust in Christ, as we continually put our trust in the gospel, we've got to act on that trust as well. And this is where Jesus talks about seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Um, it's, there's, a, there's a twofold issue here, right? One is our hearts, but the other is the way we live our lives, the way we practice. And the way that we practice generosity, kingdom generosity, is a countermeasure to allowing greed or allowing um, our the idolatry of seeking money as our sense of security. It's the only way to, to counteract these things. So when Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, um, he's not just saying, hey, look, just put your trust in God in some abstract kind of way right? Like we just throw out these nice phrases, hey, just trust in the Lord, just trust in the Lord. That's not what he's saying. In this context, it's very clear that when Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, it's in the context of money. And what, he's, what Jesus is basically saying is he's reiterating the principles that God had laid down in the Old Testament as well, of learning to give sacrificially and generously towards the things of God, to be rich towards God, not to be stingy towards God. 
So, practically, what does this mean? And this, I believe, is very, very scriptural and biblical. But it means, very practically, that um, I think we have to learn to give at least 10% of our income to the Lord through the local church, through the local church. At least 10%. Now, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Uh, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. What is Proverbs 3 9 talking about? Well, uh, God had required the Israelites in the Old Testament to give at least 10%, uh, at least 10% of their annual income to the Levites and the priests to support the work of the temple and the poor. And God repeats this in the book of Malachi, but what he basically says is this. He says, look, um, when we don't give, when we don't give um, generously to God, and we're not generously um, giving of our tithes and offerings, um, it's not just a matter of stinginess. I, the way that the Lord describes it, it's actually your, is that you and I, were robbing God. It's, it's far, far worse than just stinginess. We're robbing God himself. Now, some Christians say, well, t- show me in the New Testament where it talks about tithing. I don't see tithing or 10% this rule or whatever. And some Christians, um, some pastors or whatever say, well, it's grace giving and, and so forth. And what I would say is this. The New Testament doesn't explicitly mention tithing. Correct. It does not explicitly say that. But in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus does rebuke the Pharisees and the listeners for not being willing to give beyond the tithe when there are others in need. He just said, look, you tithe mint and dill and all this. Uh, you should have practiced justice and mercy. In other words, um, it's good that you did that, but you should be actually doing a little bit more than that too. Right? So he repeats that in the New Testament. And in the New Covenant, we should be far more generous, not less, with our material resources, shouldn't we? Um, if we've been given the gospel, we've been given Christ, and we know far more of the riches of God's grace than the saints or the believers in the Old Testament, uh, how much more should that be reflected in our generosity? Right? Some people say, well, if I earn more money, I would give more money, or I would increase my percentage, but that's not true. We know that that's not true because it's never, the issue is never about how much money you and I make. That's never the issue. It's always an issue, a matter of the heart, a matter of trust. And who do we look to as our true master? Who do we look to as our true provider, our true God? That's always a real issue. So if we don't learn to give at least 10% of our income now, then we certainly won't do it when we make more money because it's always about the heart. But the second thing, oh, and I want to say one more thing about this. Um, to seek first God's kingdom, I want to say one more thing, in giving, in generosity, in kingdom uh, generosity means that you, we, we don't get calculative with God, right? We don't get calculative with, you don't say, we don't say things like, um, well, I'm going to give, you know, all this money, I'm going to give large chunks of my money after I've paid off these expenses, after, you know, uh, I've paid off my, my rent, my mortgage, my, my debts, my college debts and tuition and, um, you know, my vacation and, you know, whatever, like other things that we put, our, uh, put away our money for. 
uh, we don't do that. We learn to say, God, what belongs to you belongs to you. Actually, all of it belongs to the Lord, but we learn to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a large, large portion of my money away um, because this is reflective of the generosity that you've given me through Christ. It's a response to that. And so we don't calculate. We just give. We learn to seek first God's kingdom first, and then all these other things will be added. Whatever God sees fit that we need and that he might even provide beyond our needs for us to be able to enjoy. But secondly is we learn to give beyond the local church to others as well. So we have to learn to get, uh, give beyond the local church to other missionaries, organizations, parachurch ministries, individuals in our lives as we see need. Family members, uh, friends, um, other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ as you see needs, um, those kind of things. That uh, there, are, there are all kinds of needs and unique burdens that come across your way, your path that you are aware of. And that God then begins to show you, well, this is, this is a person or this is a need that you can give to. Well, beyond your, your, um, your tithe, that we should be learning to practice generosity. We should be learning to say, how can I help meet this need? How can I give to this need? Right? When you see support letters, right, from different people, missionaries, and, um, and God then begins to show you these things. So this is what we've got to do to counteract this strong temptation in our lives, this very strong temptation that uh, we work really hard um, in our careers or in our career objectives. Why? So that we can have enough financial security. That is not the gospel. That is not the kingdom of God. And so we've got to just counteract this um, by learning to give away large portions of our money away. We just have to do that. And we have to do that by freeing our hearts with trust in God and freeing our trust from using money as our master. And um, when we do that, every time we give, um, there's a part of it that should kind of hurt, right? It should kind of hurt. Why? Because every time we give, it's like a death blow to our greed. Uh, it, it, It counters a death blow to idolatry. And it frees us then become, to become more and more of our true selves in Christ. It frees us to be, able to, to be able to say, Jesus, the only master that I serve, the only one that I put my trust in ultimately is you. And so that's why these things are so important. Not because the church needs your money. And not even because God needs your money. God doesn't need our money. He owns the whole universe. Actually, we need, we need to practice this for our own heart's sake before the Lord, so that we're freed from slavery and free to really serve the true living God. So let's pray, shall we? God, um, we confess to you that um, we, if we are honest, we struggle with this. Uh, Lord, it's very easy for us to live by sight, not by faith. And it's very easy uh, for our hearts to um, say that we don't maybe have an issue or a problem with money, but in reality, um, our anxieties and our worries are a dead giveaway sign that our heart's loyalty has shifted away from you. 
And um, we ask you to forgive us for that. Uh, we ask that you would continue to free us. And um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, free us to be more and more generous in this area of finances and to practice what it means to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness uh, in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.